Welcome back to Words from the Woods, a Trails Rock podcast. Today is March 1st, and I am excited to take a small step back in turning on my listening ears as Sheila will guide us through five amazing episodes to honor Women's History Month. Jen Lacey and Sheila will kick us off today as they tell the story of the history of women in running. Over the course of this month, we will have four more amazing women join us to talk. Jill Chodak, a registered dietitian from the University of Rochester and a childhood friend of mine will join us next week. Dr. Elizabeth Lenz from SUNY Brockport will join us to talk about women in sport, exercise science, nutrition, and so much more. Sophie Kotak will be joining us to talk about running while pregnant, running with a newborn, and how it has changed the way she views the sport and really what she hopes races will start to do moving forward. And finally, Amy Fracone, Supermom, will join us to talk about being a crew mom, supporting a husband and two children who run all of the races, coaching Monroe Milers, and what running means to her. Some quick housekeeping before we get to it. Registration for all of our races is now open. Head over to trailsrock.org and check the races tab to see what catches your interest. Today's song that brings us in is titled, I've Had Enough. And now let's turn this thing over to Sheila and Jen. All right, we're live. So we're going to um, turn this thing over to Sheila and Jen, like I said, and you won't hear from me again until the end. Ladies? It's going to kill him to not talk. <laughs> Hi, this is Sheila. And today I am excited to be joined by our good friend, Jen Lacey. Hi. And today we're going to just talk a lot about um, generally women in running. So we're going to start off with kind of some history and some facts, and then we'll take a little break and then we'll come back and talk more about current events. So we thought that this would be a good episode to kick off by talking about our upcoming race, Last Runner Standing. And um, we're going to talk about the name of Last Runner Standing. But if you are interested and have not already, there is still room to register race is March 11th and it's a super fun race. Um, but when we actually first, um, first started the race, we were calling it last man standing and the name changed because of Jen. <laughs> so we were in this Slack group chat and Eric was posting about the race and I just made some offhanded comment. It was mostly dudes in this chat and mm -hmm. then like me and Sheila, I think. Yeah. And I, and I said something <laughs> just like, Oh, I wish this, you know, had a non-gender specific name, like, you know, last runner standing, last person standing, last, you know, yeah. human standing. And Eric was like, oh, I never thought about that. And then like 30 seconds later, the race was changed. Like on the website, <laughs> everything, like it was just immediately changed. I was like, wow, I wish I could, that would be more things. Like, <laughs> I wish this could be different. <laughs> yeah. Hey, <It's> government. <laughs> I know you're listening. Um, yeah, it's interesting how, internalized i think sometimes the misogyny and the patriarchy becomes in our in our culture um when i ran virgil crest ultras their um slogan is not for sissies or it was i don't know if it still is um but i remember heather mcclendon being really offended by it and i was like i don't understand and then i was like oh 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 problematic yeah so really um interesting how even people who are, I don't know what the right word is, 
it's just so ingrained. Like yes. we don't even realize it sometimes. Yeah. But that perception can keep women from running. Like if a race is called last man standing, you might think like, oh, well, this is not this for, is me. for me. And it's totally for you. Yeah, absolutely. So in any event, we will in the show notes link to last runner standing, because hopefully we're going to see a lot of women on the course, not just men. And so now we're going to transition a little bit to talking about women's history in running. And it's um, kind of appropriate, I guess, that we are in Rochester and talking a little bit about women's history in general, because we have such a rich history here. I mean, everything, so many things happened here. So what do you think about that, Jen? So I think, first of all, starting recognizing this Mm -hmm. is like indigenous land that we're on and the Seneca tribe um, was a very matriarchal society here in Rochester and that um, they were running their household and they were um, actually probably, I think, what inspired Susan B. Anthony and the suffragettes to um, see like a different way of doing things and a different role women could have in society. And then old Susan B. voting in in elections (laughs) and even before she was supposed to getting arrested. And uh, she got a hundred dollar fine, which is like I think like twenty five hundred dollars today, which she oh, did wow. not pay for voting in good, the election. Good for her. <laughs> good for her. Fight the power. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting to think about. Um, you know, we were talking before we started recording about how a lot of times when we talk about the history of women and running, we start kind of at Boston Marathon in nineteen sixty seven with Catherine Switzer, but in reality, women have been running forever. Like it didn't just start there. The entirety of human history, especially I think like in indigenous cultures, it was just part of your life. It was travel. It was um, trade. It was just, you know, your survival and part of your, even some spiritual practices in some Native American cultures. Which is so funny because I think here and now it's become, you know, obviously recreational um, and really like a sport, almost a privilege to be able to have the time and the money to travel if you need to travel and to get the equipment that you need and have, like I said, the time to run. Um, But yeah, I mean, back in the day and still today for some cultures, you know, running is just part of your life. Right. (laughs) Running is life. (laughs) Yeah. So what, um, what are some important dates that maybe we haven't spent a lot of time talking about or thinking about. So I guess if you think about like men's running, you kind of think of like the Olympics, like the Mm -hmm. start of the Olympics. Um, Men used to run nude, which is strange, but (laughs) (laughs) glad we don't do that I was just going to say, it seems, (laughs) Eric is just smirking over here for everyone at home. (laughs) This is a lot of jiggling. But um, in 1896, the day after the men's only marathon, a Greek woman, um, Stamata Revathy, she ran the marathon course. Um, It wasn't official or anything like that. But so even back in like, you know, the 1800s, women were, you know, running and wanted to be um, participating in things that um, only men were allowed to do at the time. Which is wild. Her uterus didn't fall out. I know. Shocking. (laughs) So that... Um, misconception, I guess, that running for a woman is really dangerous or or unhealthy, I think even today persists. And it's so interesting because there are so many examples of women running, again, throughout history, and they've been fine. Running while pregnant, running, you know, before getting pregnant, after getting pregnant, like the entirety of human history. But it wasn't like until 
I like actually 1980, this is the year before I was born that Wild. the American College of Sports Medicine officially finds zero evidence that women should not run marathons. I mean, there was never evidence that they shouldn't, but it was always thought that they shouldn't. Right. And it's crazy as someone who has spent a long time trying to get pregnant. It's crazy how that myth persists and how many people mostly not doctors, <laughs> not medical professionals, um, but so many people still will will say you can't run if you're trying to get pregnant. And once you're pregnant, you can't run. And I know we're going to have Sophie come on and talk about running while pregnant and running postpartum. Um, but again, it's just wild to me how that, uh, speaking of things that are ingrained, like that has become something that's so ingrained that it's not healthy for you to run um, especially as a woman, I think people have maybe non runners have some perceptions of running anyways that are flawed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think especially if you're a, a female runner, there's just a lot of pushback from some people. So it's interesting. And to think you're literally at this moment growing two whole like people <laughs> in your inside of you and to think that like you could do that and then give birth this whole process and then physically not be able to run like down the street like it makes no sense i know i wonder when that started like when that idea started if it was more of a control women thing or are there people that really honestly believed that you were gonna harm your body or really believed your uterus was gonna actually fall out well let's be honest it's always been a control woman yeah thing. yeah <laughs> for some people but um, but I think it was like this, I, this idea that women were like delicate or dainty, which like, you have to be so hardcore to have a baby. <laughs> like that's like, like the most hardcore thing you can do. How could you be delicate? That's true. Yeah. I don't, it's just very interesting to me. Um, and just interesting to think about how not long ago, all of this seemed to really change, you know, um, to think that like within almost within our lifetimes, but really for sure within our, our parents' and grandparents' lifetimes, you know? I mean, think about it. Catherine Switzer's still alive, right. still running. Like, right. it wasn't that long ago. Right. Well, and even things, I mean, not related to running, but, like, women having bank accounts, women having credit cards, like, that's the 60s and 70s. Right. That is not that far, <laughs> far back, no. you know? Like, in my head, it seems like it should be so much further away from where we are now, but it's really not, so... Are there any other dates that you think are really notable in women's running? So um, I think, so first in 1928, um, Olympic Games opened track and field events to women, but then there were these erroneous reports <laughs> that they were collapsing a, over the 800 meters um, distances. So then the IOC banned women from running more than 200 so even when we, you know, gain an inch, they, you know, try to take it, take back. it back. So it's been, I think, just like a series of um, people being like, women can't do this, women doing it, people being like, women still can't do this, and women just keep doing it. Right, right. And it's, that's so interesting, because in my head, those shorter distance events are so much more high intensity, like, I, I feel like way harder on your body. I don't know. In my head, I'm also not a sprinter though. So <laughs> I guess maybe, maybe yeah, maybe it's because I'm a, a distance girl. Snacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's so interesting to me that that when they first started to allow women to compete, they were okay. I guess okay with like those really high intensity events. You know, like really damaging to their. I don't know. It's interesting. 
So um, I think another cool date that Jen, you actually had sent was that on May 29th in 1954, Diane Leather became the first woman to run a mile in under five minutes. Um, so that was just after Roger Bannister ran a sub four minute mile. And again, thinking about like these high intensity, high speed events and just, you know, women showing they can do it, you know? And that's important too, because it took a long time for someone to break the four minute mile. And then after Bannister did it, like yeah. then a succession of people did it. And now we've gone way beyond that. Right. And so I think it's the same for women. You see like one woman doing it and then it becomes a possibility. And like so much of running is mental thinking like that is possible to do that. So you see like a woman running a marathon and then an ultra and then maybe winning an ultra. And it just like expands the like what we think is possible as a human. Right, right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where things go. I mean, how things continue to progress in running in general, but especially in women's running, because like you're saying, there's been so much growth. Um, talk a little bit about Wilma Gladian Rudolph. So she is just an absolute like icon. First of all, she had polio and then still raced like track and field. She was basically called the fastest woman in the world in the 60s and one was the first American to win three gold medals um, in a single Olympics, which was that year, 1960 in Rome. And um, then she, um, after she retired from running, she was like a civil rights activist, women's rights pioneer, um, coach, um, just, you know, just absolute icon. Just a baller. Um, it's so funny, I think, too, you know, she's this amazing runner and then she transitions that into like a completely different career working to try to further women's rights and civil rights, you know, and being an educator. And I don't know, it's just interesting to me, like women just do it all. Just run in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> run the marathons and run in the world. Yeah, exactly. So. But I wonder if there's something to that too. Like just personally, I always feel like like my freest and like wildest running. Yeah. And it, I feel like that translate into like life. If you're like out in the woods running and you're just like, it's just this instinctual thing. And then I think it's hard to come back to like a cookie cutter life and not think like what else is possible or where else, you know, am I going to be free in the, in my life? So right. I think it, it sort of does translate to that. Yeah. Well, and I wonder how many women maybe aren't or weren't runners in her sphere, but saw the things that she was doing and took inspiration. So like, even if you're not a runner, are you seeing all of the accomplishments that she has and thinking about what's possible? And, you know, is this what I want for myself, what I'm currently doing, or is there something more that I could be doing? For sure. Um, so we kind of skipped ahead a whole bunch, um, but now we're kind of back to this whole Catherine Switzer, um, in 1967. And I think most people are familiar with the story. Um, but she was a young woman in 1967 who really wanted to run Boston, but women were not allowed to run Boston because their uterus was going to fall out. Um, and she ran it anyways. She registered under a, I, I don't want to say fake name because it wasn't a she fake name. She just used name. her initials. Right. Um, so KV. Right. And then just, they just assumed it was a man. It was a dude. Yeah. yeah. And then they tried to pull her off the course. Yeah. The race director, his name was Jock Semple, which like such a villain name, yeah. but like old Jock here, he tries to like pull her off the course. A couple other men did too. And she just 
kept running. Right. And she finished um, in like a ridiculously fast time too. And she was, she actually was training with the, um, the men's cross country team at Syracuse University when she ran. Oh, the I race. didn't know so that. She, yeah. So she was kind of local. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And it was incredible. And it kind of got the ball rolling, I guess. Um, for women to be able to officially run? She was the first official entrant, but the year before, in 1966, Bobby Gibb tried to enter and register, and they denied her entry because women were, you know, physically um, incapable of running 26 miles. So she just ran the race anyway. She, like, jumped out of a bush and, like, ran the race and without a bib, and she finished beating, like, two-thirds of the men. Um, <laughs> so proved it was physically possible for yeah. women to um, to run, but then they still mm-hmm. didn't allow women entry. And then after Catherine Switzer um, ran, the AAU banned women from competing in men's races. <laughs> so like, what are they going to do? They were just like, worried. Because they were a dollar fine, like Susan B. Because they were getting beat by women. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, what was that phrase? Oh my gosh. Um, getting chicked. Yeah. I have like such mixed feelings about that phrase. Because on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, you go, girl. And then on the other hand, I'm like, why? Like, I feel like getting chicked should be like when someone gives you a little chicken as a present, like a little <laughs> baby chicken. It's cute. Yeah. Not like a derogatory term for like you lost to a woman. To a woman. Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I guess it maybe it depends on who's using it and how they're using it. But it's never used in a good way, I don't feel like. I know. Well, I wonder like if you're a woman, I guess women wouldn't say that it's to each thing. other though. Yeah. <laughs> Or like if you, I guess if as a woman, if you reclaim it, like you're going to yeah. go out and chick some guy, but right. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder how much of the, I mean, again, we know that it's all about control, but I wonder how much of the pushback against women officially being able to register for races was also men, insecure men who were worried about getting beat by women, like knowing that women are perfectly capable of running, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the problems in the world that have been caused by insecure men <laughs> are innumerable. But <laughs> go to therapy. <laughs> Anyways, um, so then in 1972, um, there were six women that were allowed to run in the New York City Marathon, but... They had to start 10 minutes before the men, and they were like, no. And so after the gun, they sat down in protest. <laughs> they were like, we'll take the 10-minute penalty, and then <laughs> and we'll still beat, beat you guys. <laughs> you love to see it. Um, but for me, the most fa- the most important was 1977, because finally we get a sports bra. <laughs> so three women, Linda or Lisa Lindahl, Polly Smith, and Hinda Schreiber, so two jock straps together, which doesn't Seems, sound very comfortable to no. me, but, uh, and they called it the jog bra, but before that it was just, you know, boobs flapping in the wind yeah, and good, good luck. luck. <laughs> yeah. Which I can't imagine. I, I can't mean, either. You've got to have a good sports bra. Thank like you to spandex and yeah. all the sports bra technology we have today. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, can you imagine two jock straps? Wild. Imagine running like ancient Greece with like a toga, and that's oh all. Like gosh. your one boob is like hanging, hanging out. out. <laughs> it just flops out. Like, oh no, <laughs> not ideal. Not an ideal way. We've overcome a lot <laughs> to get to where we are. Um. So we already already kind of touched on in 1980 that the American College of Sports Medicine found no evidence that women shouldn't run marathons. Surprise, um, surprise. Yeah. The uteruses are still inside. Everything is fine. <laughs> um, but it took two more years before there was 
the first track and field NCAA championships for women, which is so interesting to me. So, I mean, that fact about the women that were not allowed to run anything more than 200 meters was from 1928. Yep. And then not till 1982. That's like, I'm one years old at that point. Like that happened in my lifetime. It's, It's so crazy to me. It is. And it's, it's, I mean, two years. So the American College of Sports Medicine says, cool, women can run. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, they and have already took, been running this right, whole time. Right, like forever. So it's just interesting that it didn't become official until 82. And like you said, during our lifetime. So then in 1984, which is when I was born, um, the first Olympic women's marathon was held in L.A., um, and so again, it took four years from the time that doctors finally were like, yo, there's nothing wrong with women running a marathon until women were allowed to run a marathon in the Olympics. Just so wild to me. And I think like, it's probably has to do a lot with like time, right? So like mm-hmm. women, if you don't have childcare, you can't be running. And then if you don't see other women running, you don't know you that's don't a thing it. for you. And then if you try to join in like a running club and it's mostly men and they're not welcoming to you, there's like all these access barriers too, not just the official ones, right. but like the ones you might not think about as well, which right. still exist for, you know, minorities and, and even some women today too. Right. No, you're absolutely correct. Um, but yay, 1984, we're finally allowed to, to run in the Olympics in the marathon. Um, and then we have just kind of some other statistics about cool things that um, that women have done more recently. I mean, in the 2000s. I know so, that was still like 20 years ago now. I it know. It feels like, like so short of a time ago, but like 20 whole years ago was like. I, know. I don't like to think about it. <laughs> We're old. We're very old. Oh, well. Better than the alternative. So do you have any favorite facts from the 2000s? So 2002, um, Pam Reed was the first woman to win first place at the Badwater Ultra, which is 135 miles. It's through California's Death Valley in July. Very, very hot. Yeah. Temper- temperatures upwards of 120 degrees. Yeah, people's just like, shoes melt literally yeah, on the running. road. I can't even imagine how hot just like whole bottles of sunscreen, all the water you yeah. need. But she crushed it. Um, and we'll talk a little bit after the break about women and their ability to crush, especially in ultras or longer distance runs. Uh, we also um, have some other facts. For example, in 2012 at the London Olympic Games, there was a 19-year-old, Sarah Attar, and she was the first woman from Saudi Arabia to compete in an Olympic track and field event. So we have been talking a lot about kind of the facts and the history from the United States, but really all over the world, um, women are becoming, I guess, more um, involved in athletics. Um, So that's a good thing to see. And then um, 2014, Alyssa Montano competed at the U.S. Outdoor Championships while she was 34 weeks pregnant. Which is wild. Yeah. (laughs) And then um, in 2017, she did it again when she was five months pregnant. Yeah. So she just once wasn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm almost 22 weeks now. And I can't imagine being 34 weeks pregnant 
and competing, like not even just running, but actually being in a competition. That's incredible. It is incredible. I mean, and especially like a, like the U.S. outdoor champions, like I'll never get there in my life. Like I'll never be that fast <laughs> and I've never been pregnant. So to, to like to be like at that high level and pregnant, it's just amazing. Right. I mean, I can't even fathom the amount of nutrition that she would need and recovery time. I mean, she had to have crazy coaching to be able to maintain a healthy pregnancy and that level of competition, like right. that level and training. Of, and- yeah. I mean, I just can't even imagine. Like I said, it's not like she was just out for a casual run at 34 weeks pregnant. Like she was competing, competing. Right. So very cool. Um, I think unless you have anything else that you want to add, Jen, that we are going to take a little break here. And when we come back from the break, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking a little bit more about um, current events in women's running. So we'll be back after the break. All right. Welcome back from the break. So before break, Jen and I spent some time kind of talking a little bit about women's history in Rochester and then also the history of women in running. And what we wanted to do with this next segment is just talk a little bit about women and running, especially current events kind of. And before we talk about that, we thought that it would be kind of fun to talk a little bit about how women are actually just really great runners, um, especially the longer the distance. So Jen had some interesting statistics about women running longer distances. So this is from a study from the International Association of Ultra Runners that took a look at the trends in ultra running over the last 23 years or so. And they analyzed like 5 million results from all these ultra running events uh, to find trends in the sport. And um, so they found an increased participation for female runners. And then um, also that female runners are faster than their male counterparts at distances over 195 miles. <laughs> so um, when you start with like a 5K run, men tend to run 17.9% faster than women. At marathon distances, it shrinks to 11.1% faster. And then um, at 100 miles, the men are just 0.25% faster. And then if you go 195 miles, the women start to get an advantage and become, and it's 0.6% faster than the men. Which is so interesting. Why do you or why do scientists think that that is happening? I think it's like a number of different reasons. And I don't even know if they're like entirely sure. But mm-hmm. physiologically, women do have more slow twitch muscle fibers and mm-hmm. men tend to have more fast twitch. Mm-hmm. So better for endurance. Um, and then women are better at using fat for fuel at longer distances right. and have a higher percentage of body fat usually. And then um, some things that people have noticed too is that women are just tend to be better at pacing themselves. If you look at the long ultra races, like the men tend to go out um, faster and the women tend to pace more. And um, all of this is like stereotypical in, yeah. in general, but um, women are more likely to um, like train hard for a race, whereas men are more like to be overconfident and maybe go into a race like trying a to a little underprepared and yeah. like trying to like bluster their way through it where women are less likely to do that. Right, right. Which is, I mean, it's interesting as an RD for different 
you know, different distances of races, it's always interesting to see how it shakes out as far as like, are there more men that register? Are there more women that register? Um, one thing that we've kind of tried to encourage is more women's participation, especially in ultras or longer distance events, um, because I think they can be really empowering for women to be able to see like, this is what my body is actually capable of. Um, and also we're really good at them, you know? Like it's a chance to be really successful at something. And if you think it's only been like really one generation since women started competing in like these, like actively, like in the Boston Marathon and like right. officially in these races, right. like what are we going to do over the next two, three, four, five generations as women get more involved in running and like what progress are we going to make? Like we've already made so much in such a short amount of time. Yeah. I wonder how those numbers, the statistics that you just read, I wonder how that would compare, um, like going back when that study was from looking at data from the, like the like, last 23 years I of was like just race statistics. Say, yeah. So like, I wonder if it went back, you know, to when women first started competing, really. Um, I wonder how those numbers would look. And I wonder in another 20 years or another, you know, 50 years, even, I wonder if those, um, diff if those percentages will shrink even more, you know what I mean? Like, will women become faster and get closer to men's speeds in those shorter distances? Or is that never gonna really shake out? I think it depends. Like, um, again, access, like yeah. if there's more opportunities for women to become like professional runners and better policies towards like pregnancy and things like that, more women will get into the sport and then will be able to exceed, succeed um, and then also just even if, you know, you're not running fast and you're not setting records, but you still get into right. it and, you know, there's just a lot more girls and women participating, I think is good anyways, good regardless of if we're setting records or winning the races just right. to have. So overall numbers, if you, if more people are running ultras now, maybe their average times are less because you're considering like the slower people and the faster people, but then there's also record setting people as well. Right. More likelihood that some the next you know female Roger Bannister is going to come along if more women are involved in running from a young age right and seeing like you're saying seeing like professional runners who show what's possible right so we know that women are really great runners especially at long distances and so we just had some examples of women who are great distance ultra runners so the first Thing that we wanted to talk about a little bit was um, at Big's Backyard Ultra, there have been two female winners of the of the race overall. And that's a ridiculously hard race. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the just the fact that two women were able to win that race is, you know, a testament to girl power, I guess, you know, like how strong women can be and how they persevere. Um, and then we also had um, a fact about Anne Trayson, and I actually had never heard this name before. I don't know if you had heard of her. I've heard of her before. She was in, um, mentioned in the Born to Run book, and okay. she's just a very famous, like, ultra runner. Um, from, well, I say back in the day, but she was still racing, even winning in like 2003. So mm -hmm. it wasn't like that long ago, but she um, was the first female finisher of Western States 100 in 89. 
Um, then she ended up winning it 14 more times um, after that. Most recent one was 2003. So that's a tough 100 miler. Um, and in 1996 and 1997, she won the 56 mile Comrades um, race in South Africa and then won Western States just 12 days later. Which so is did that two years in a row. Yeah, just back to back to back to back. So she's sometimes considered the most successful female ultra runner of all time but I'm sure there's some up and comers that are gonna, you know, smash those records and become the next best female ultra runner. Yeah, just blow that completely out of the water. Um, it is interesting to me that she was the first female finisher for Western States in 89. I wonder when they started allowing women, or I wonder if they ever had any kind of rules about women running. Because I mean, 100 miles, that's really not that far after women were allowed to run allowed, quote unquote, to run a marathon distance. So, you know, 100 miles is even further. You would think all these men would be very concerned about the poor women wanting to run 100 miles. <laughs> <laughs> she also has 20 world records too, Ann Trayson. Yeah. So she's fast and can run forever. I, yeah, which is really cool. Um, I think, like we were talking about, when you see other women who are capable of doing these incredible things, it makes it easier for you to to want to see what you can do, what you're capable of. Um, I know for me, like seeing some of the women in our community um, who started getting involved in ultras and realizing like, oh, this isn't just something that guys do. like women can do this too. You know, it was kind of cool to be able to be a part of that. It was interesting. Like my first ultra, I remember there were not a lot of women near me, like the whole race. I felt like it was just guys everywhere I looked. Um, and I know after the race, Eric and I talked about that, um, because he felt like all day he was with like, cause he was crewing for me and he was with the guy's crew, which was a lot of times like girlfriends or wives, um, so it's just interesting to have that experience, you know, of like not seeing a lot of women. So like I had mentioned earlier, it's important for us to see women at our races, especially at many on the Jenny, like at an ultra distance race. Yeah. And dad, step up and watch the kids while yeah. you're, <laughs> while your wife is running. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was interesting. You do see that a lot. Like men have kids and then they still have their racing schedule and the women are all crewing for them with towing the kids around, but you don't see it as much the other way around. Yeah. And we should yeah. take turns, you know, if you're both runners, then you take yeah. turns watching the kids. And if you're, uh, but that is a, you know, impediment to some women is like, if you don't have childcare, then how right. are you going to have the hours and free time to train? And then there's also like, I think women are more apt to feel guilt about time spent away from the family. Right. Which, you know, those are outdated ideas. We got to get rid of that. Yeah, for sure. I always joke too at ultras that it's like the one time when the line for the women's bathroom is shorter <laughs> than the line for the men's bathroom. Like you'll see this winding road or winding line for the guy's bathroom always. And then the women's bathroom, you're like in and out, which is nice. I appreciate it. I mean, to also to be fair, guys can just pee wherever they want. That is Which true. is, you know, it's a perk, I guess. So um, are there any other successful women runners that you want to touch on, Jen? So um, we talked about 
locally, there was a, a few years ago, a local 50K race and a woman won overall and they had only um, trophies for overall winner and then first female. So then the male winner didn't have a trophy because they were just assuming that a male was going to be the overall winner. And um, that was only a couple years ago. So I think it still shows that we, um, you know, we still have strides to make and we can always be expanding on what we think is possible and just recognizing that, um, you know, instead of having these like very gendered things, we could have, you know, just overall, two overall, overall winner winners, right? trophies and things like, even things like that you wouldn't think to think about because it's just assumed that a man would win and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, absolutely. I think it kind of goes back to what we started talking about too, like even the most um, progressive people who maybe think about things and try to be as inclusive as possible sometimes still fall short. Um, and and that's, we're human. So right. we're always like learning more about, you know, what other people's experience of the world is. And I think it's just important to remember, like if, if you get called out for something, like it's a good thing. Someone is giving you the opportunity to be like, oh, hey, right. this is something I didn't think about. And how can I change and going forward, make it so it's a more welcoming space for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that growth is really important, I think. Um, we also had talked a little bit before we started recording just about how um, thinking about, you know, women's access to sports in general, but especially running. And we had talked a little bit about professional runners and kind of their contracts when they are sponsored athletes. So what do you think about that? So um, Nike, I had to change like their um, how they were treating female runners um, mm -hmm. because they would, you know, they would lose their sponsorships if they got pregnant. And then right. um, it wasn't too long ago that they changed that um, because of Alyssa Montano and Allison Felix and some other really, really fast runners that were um, fast during their pregnancy, fast after their pregnancy. Right. Um, and they were getting... <clears throat> um, a bad deal because of it from Nike and right. you just had to take, like they had to stand up and say, um, which you might never have to think about. Right. Because you can have kids all day long and nothing changes with your body or your career. Right. Right. I mean, even locally, locally, um, even smaller races, um, thinking about what the refund policy is as far as pregnancy goes. Like I know, I mean, we spent a long time trying to get pregnant. And sometimes when I was thinking about if I was going to register for a race or not, that would be part of the consideration. Like, am I going to be able to get money back if this works this time, you know? Um, and I'm glad to see that a lot of race directors seem to be changing their policies and allowing deferrals or refunds now if women get pregnant. Um, I mean, obviously injury is also another concern for people, um, but I think it's really nice when races can offer women who get pregnant the opportunity to defer, at least to defer, if not to just get a refund. And that's another benefit of more women being involved in the sport is that we'll have yeah. these conversations and a thing that maybe men wouldn't think to think about if they're race directors and if there's more female race directors, um, then and more female participants, those things will get talked about, those policies will be considered. Right. Um, same thing with having having um, feminine hygiene products on aid station tables. That was like a big thing for us with Many on the Jenny because my first ultra, when it was like I couldn't find a woman 
to save my life and I needed a tampon and didn't have one. Oh no, that's the worst. And I was like, oh my God, I'm texting Eric. And he's like, where are you? I'm like, I think I'm three miles away. But I'm like, can you have stuff ready for me? And it was, it was so bad. And now I always have one in my pack. So if you I always have one in my pack too. Yeah, if you're running with me and you need one, you know. We got your back. Yeah. It is. Um, but it's nice to see that starting to be more commonplace too at aid stations. Just, you know, hey, here's a box just in case anybody needs it. Also, shout out to whoever invented the menstrual cup because that yes. is a game changer for long days in the woods. That is true. If you haven't uh, jumped on that wagon yet, definitely you should look into that. Thank you, sports bra and menstrual yeah. cup gods. <laughs> Letting us do all the things and run all the miles. Um, But yeah, so I think those kinds of things, like you're saying, you know, the more that women are participating, the more that we are talking about issues like that, the better chance that everybody has to learn and make sure that everybody is feeling welcome. So is there anything that we did not touch on, Jen, that you would like to touch on tonight? I think covers a lot of it. I just want to add that like dudes we're not trying to leave you out it's just like the more you know about this and the more you can be aware like right. if you're like a dude on the course and you handed me a tampon I would love you forever yeah. just like you know like you could score a lot of points that way that's like, true just be aware of things and uh, it affects you because you know women and they're in your life and you love them and you're related to them and it's not just like women's issues. It's important for everybody to talk about these things. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a great place to leave it for tonight. So I'm going to turn it back over to Eric. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I learned a lot just from listening. I think that's always important is to listen because when we do, we can learn. So there was some great history. Um, there was some really interesting conversations in there. Um, I know that over the course of the rest of this month, with our four more episodes that we're going to have, um, I'll have an opportunity to do a lot more listening and learning. And I'm excited um, for all of our listeners to be able to sort of join us on that journey. So um, until next week, Jen, thank you so much for being here. I always love having these chats. And um, we'll be back next week, I think, with uh, an episode on uh, nutrition, maybe. Yeah. All right. That's it for now. Adios. Sounds right. Sounds right.